Welcome back to the OPEX podcast where fitness is explained. I am your host, Robbie Burke, and I'm joined on today's show by Michelle Latondra from DecaComp. On this episode, Michelle and I discuss many topics, including Michelle's background and her influences, the good and not so good things Michelle currently sees within the fitness coaching profession. We discuss Michelle's training philosophy. We get into a discussion around Michelle's training system. What is it like to coach Patrick Vellner and Laura Horvath? Michelle gives us her thoughts on the 2018 CrossFit Games. Michelle gives us her top lessons she's learned so far in her life. Michelle gives us her top and current book recommendations. I asked Michelle if she only had one year left on earth, how would she spend that year and why? And finally, I asked Michelle the big question, if she could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would she invite and why? Guys, this was a great conversation with Michelle. I know you're going to love it. Stay with us. Michelle, we are recording. Thank you so much for making time to speak to me today. Just for the listeners who are not too familiar with who you are, just fill us in on your background. Um, so my name is Michelle uh, Letang, <laughs> and uh, I'm from Montreal. I was born and raised here. My sporting background is mainly uh, competitive swimming, and then for a little bit longer at a higher level, I played water polo. I got into CrossFit in 2011 uh, during my last year of university. And um, no, sorry, I started CrossFit in 2009, mm. but 2011 is my first CrossFit Games. And then CrossFit Games, I was there from 2011 until 2016 as an athlete. And now 2017 and 2018, I was there as a coach. Mm. Great stuff. So just delving a little more deeper into your background. Um, because just for the listeners, this is our take two. We tried last week and our, <laughs> our audio was brutal. It was, it was about both of us. I don't know what was going on. But in that, you spoke about like your um, youth growing up in terms of sports. So, you know, you did water polo. You were very um, competitive. Maybe just fill us in a little more on like why you think you were so competitive growing up and why do you like, you, you know, you're such a competitive athlete when you were doing CrossFit too, you seem to be a very driven individual from any interviews or videos I've watched. So maybe just give us a little more background into like, you know, growing up as a, as a young female, I believe you've, you've a fairly large family or have you a few family members? I have two, I have three, no, I have two siblings, two sisters, but my father is one of 19. Oh, that was it. Yeah. 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 So my father was brought up in loving family but one of 19 you kind of have to make your own way in life you know yeah, yeah. or you know he has he has um great brothers and sisters but um from a young age my father had to kind of do things for himself and he worked really hard and i guess my competitive nature definitely comes from my father but i would call myself more of a perfectionist than a competitor mm-hmm. but competitive in the sense that i really want to do everything really well and I really want to be on top and the best of, of what I am capable of. But I'm not a win-at-all-cost kind of person. Um, so definitely the, the perfectionist side comes from my mother. Mm. And my mother kind of the same thing. You know, she, my mother had, she started her family really young. She had my older sister when she was 22. She was still in university. So she, she finished the family, so to speak, and then went back to school and, and is now a very successful um, project coordinator and director. So I guess drive, perfection, and competition melded into one is, I guess, what 
my baggages. Yeah. And when I was playing water polo, I was, I started off, um, you know, really doing it for fun. And um, uh, as competitions got more and more serious, I started getting really competitive, but not the good kind of competitive. I wasn't the best uh, teammate um, at all. And I think that's more my father, you know, my father is like a very, very competitive guy and he's, he's like a sore loser. And um, so I was like really in that kind of, kind of zone and there was one year where my coach kind of just let me know that he didn't want to have my attitude on the team and if I was going to continue to be this way he wasn't going to let me back on the team mm. and this isn't a quality like this is not a qualification team this is a team that I paid to be on like a, a club team you know yeah. so that was a pretty big um, eye-opening experience and after that I guess I kind of geared more towards um, leadership and perfection and skill more so than just kind of winning. So that kind of shaped who I am now. But like I said, I wouldn't consider myself a real competitor. I really think that I'm more of a perfectionist um, than a competitor. Yeah, great stuff. Um, your influences, who have been your biggest influences on you, not only professionally as a coach and as an athlete, but also personally, obviously, you know, you've talked about your parents there, but is there anyone else? Yeah, my parents, I mean, like, they're so big. They they really led by example. Um, my parents are, they have good values and they're really good people and they're loving and, you know, and, but they're also not scared to get what they want. And um, they really showed us an amazing example of, of how to be a, a, an adult, uh, a professional and a, and a like, mm. a, a good human being. You know, um, professionally, I'm going to meld in my athletic career, like, as professionally, but... Um, pretty much all my coaches um, either showed me what I didn't want to be or become, or they showed me what I wanted to be and become mm. and what I wanted to do. So I can't give the credit to anyone in particular. I've had some amazing coaches that have showed me a lot. Um, I've had some coaches that were really on the technical side and that made me love the sports that I used to hate. I have a, a tr like, I'm going to call him a track coach, but really he's like an agility coach. And had it not been for him, I would really hate running. But he made me love running in all in all forms: endurance, sprinting, agility. He made me really fall in love with um, with with running and and track. Um, my weightlifting coach that I worked with, uh, uh, he runs First Pull. His Instagram handle is First Pull. Mm. He made me fall in love with weightlifting because he just made me realize how there's not one way of doing things and he's very in tune with with people's um uh physiology and their uh, and their body types and he'll kind of gear them towards the technique that works for that body type mm. so his eye for that was really something that i inspire my coaching uh, from a lot i've had some coaches that i realized that i didn't want to fall into that whole kind of guru style of coaching and it was very appropriate for me when when I worked with that coach but then I realized like yeah you know this doesn't work for me and this is not who I am as a person so I'm going to gear away from that um so really everyone kind of shaped me um and I'm really grateful for all of them mm. how has the transition been for you from going from an athlete to a coach uh, the transition was pretty easy, and I'm not saying that that would be the case for most. I think that I'm a better coach than I am an athlete, 
because I analyze a lot and I and you're I, pretty you're a pretty good athlete now in fairness <laughs> well I was a good athlete but but my so I've always set up like my bear my my standard is to win the games you know and I've never been able to do that and uh, in fact I've only been in the top 10 twice not even once um, yeah I've only been in the top 10 once in my whole career so I would consider myself to be a good athlete, but not the level that I really wanted to be at. But as a coach, I feel comfortable to say that I, I can bring athletes to a top 10 because I know what it takes, but I have never been able to put it together because I had the limits, either, either physical or mental limits that stopped me from doing that. So um, for me, the transition was quite easy. I, I love to teach and I really like to learn from movement. I feel like I have a good meld of, of experience and also because of the type of athlete I was, I went to see so many like tech, um, specialty coaches that I feel like I have a really good baggage of technique that I can, I can translate to my athletes. But I also have seen fear and I've seen mental blockage and I've experienced defeat a lot enough to kind of show athletes that the, what it means to have big goals and to not make it. Um, so I, I, I think that the transition for me was relatively easy. Now, in terms of, in terms of like myself personally, morally and like um, ego, it was, it was easy for me because when I stopped competing, I was at a point that I didn't like training anymore. I love the sport of CrossFit and I love, I love sport and I love the idea of, um, in French it's dépassement, like I love the idea of people like exceeding their expectations and reaching new limits, but I didn't, I just didn't want to do it for myself anymore. So I was already at a point that I didn't want to train and I was kind of sick of the cameras and I was kind of sick of always being um, pull in one direction to another. I was sick of um, always trying to put my best foot forward. Sometimes I just wanted to be myself and just, you know, chill out. So it was a smooth transition for me for that. But in order for me to, to have my personal goals, athletic goals kind of tapered down, my strategy was to go into a different sport. So when I stopped competing in CrossFit, I started competing in weightlifting. And the cool thing is that my numbers were in Canada. My numbers were high enough for me to compete at a pretty high level. So I was getting the high level international competition in me, but I was reducing my training volume a lot. And I had very little expectations for me um, in the sport. So it was a really nice kind of taper. It was also really nice kind of taper to get me used to sitting down and, and actually working. Like working is a skill. Um, sitting down at a computer and being concentrated for three, four hours at a time takes practice and I hadn't done it since university. So it was kind of a way for me to ramp up my concentration, um, sit down a little bit, get myself organized, get work um, kind of settled in before I did it full time. Yeah, it sounds like even though I know you opened up that answer with uh, you, you didn't find the transition too hard, it still sounds like you still had to change a lot of things. Like obviously, you know, going from training multiple times a day to just weightlifting and then sitting on a computer for longer. And obviously yeah. then that, that impact, impacted like probably your nutrition in terms of, you know, meal, oh, yeah, sure. meal frequency and, and total calories. And obviously your recovery and sleep probably 
were were different than what they were. So sounds like there was a lot to transition to, but you seem to do it pretty seamlessly. Um, there are a lot of things that people don't see that happen when when you're doing that kind of thing, like the whole nutrition thing. Like when I stopped competing, I did not want to have to measure anything. Like there's nothing I didn't want to have to measure. I didn't want to have to count the number of alcohol like uh, consumptions I had so there was a huge let go and that's something that is hard on the ego because physically you go from a I don't even have to think about it I'm gonna stay lean to a and me personally my body composition is not something like I don't I don't lean out easily I don't I don't get fat easily but I definitely my body fat percentage went up and that's something that is kind of difficult on on me personally, it's hard for me to look at myself in the mirror in a bikini and be okay with what I'm seeing. Mm. So it took some time to adapt. And that was really hard at the beginning. Um, but now, after two years, I am more lenient in the sense that back then I was lenient. I drank when I wanted and I had dessert when I wanted and I ate what I wanted. But I was really on hard on myself after and I felt really guilty all the time. Yeah. And now the guilt is way less. My nutrition plan is a little bit more um, loose, but, but now I'm at a point where, okay, I feel comfortable enough. I've gone through that whole, like, I'm so sick of doing this. And now I'm a little bit more inclined to uh, have a, a proper nutrition plan. Um, I want to lose a little bit of weight. I want to also have fun. And I'm a little bit more serious than I was when I completely stopped. Mm. So when I stopped, there was a huge kind of like, Turn around where I was like, oh, I don't want to fucking do anything. I don't want to watch my nutrition. I don't want to work out. I don't want to do anything. And now it's kind of like wrapped up into a more, I guess, balanced. Like I want to be lean and fit, but I don't want to sacrifice the things that now I can do because I'm not competitive. Uh, I'm not competitive in my sport anymore. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of competitors, both male and female, who've gone who've gone through that. So it's. I think it's an important message, and it's important for for listeners to hear you know that that's a that's a, a, a struggle that you had to in in transferring from um athlete to coach but i think that's a very important message for people to hear yeah, it's hard it's hard it was way harder than i thought i had so much difficulty letting go of my idea of what i should look like i had a lot of difficulty with that i was totally okay with my personality not being the athlete because i never identified with that 100 percent. but the the body and the but i should be like this because i'm a coach and i'm coaching competitive athletes i should be leaner i should look the part and now it's just like you know what nah i don't need to yeah yeah, I'd agree. Uh, like, obviously, you want to stay in some condition, but not to the degree of, of the competitive athletes. Yeah, I don't need to have a 13% body fat. I don't need to have that. That is, that is, that is a self, like, I don't want to say it in a bad way, but that's a selfish goal. And I've been so selfish throughout my career that, like, like, yeah, yeah, I get you. I get you. Plus, uh, from, what, from what I believe, you're, you're trying to make a baby. So 13% body fat isn't, uh, isn't the best. Isn't the best way to go about that, yeah. Um, before we just dive into a little more specific topics in regards to your coaching, and we'll get into like your training philosophy and, and your programming, um, what would you say are the good and the not so good things you see 
within the fitness coaching profession as a whole? So it's a very general global question, but just from what you're seeing, whether that be through social media or from attending seminars or from being at competitions, to you, what are the good and then what are the not so good things you're seeing from fitness coaching as a profession? And, okay. and, and just with the, sorry, just with the not so good things, Michelle, what solutions would you put in place? So my question is like, do you talk about fitness or do you talk about sports, like the sport of CrossFit? Every, every type of, any, anything where there's a coaching process involved. So that could be anything from like a personal trainer to a top sports coach to, you know what I mean? So it's just basically the coaching profession. Like what are some good things you're seeing there? What are some not so good things? What the not okay. so good things? Anything? So I'm going to pick the like professional, like athlete coaching, like CrossFit game style Perfect, coaching. perfect, yeah, perfect. There is a lot of good in that. There's a lot of bad. I feel like what I see on social media, there is a lot of, there's a lot of talk about mindset and everything. And I feel like, um, our, unless you have actual degree on, um, sports psychology or psychology in itself, I feel like we're kind of diving into a world that we're not very familiar with. I understand to a certain degree, um, mindset is something that you can experience even if you're not a, um, a therapist, but I think that the complexity of the athlete as a personality is way too big for me to take in charge. So for example, when we're talking about athletes that go to a degree that they go to, to get what they want, I don't think that their personality or character is simply fixed by a positive mindset attitude. I think those people have issues um, that go far beyond what we are mm. capable of dealing with. Mm. I think that if, if you have like a one-size-fits-all kind of mental approach, you could be hurting some athletes because they, internally, they might be taking that message and, and making something else with it. And that's from a personal experience. Um, but it's also, this is a, this is a coin with two sides, right? This is this mindset thing is a negative thing for me, but it's also a really positive thing for me because it's a very important part of any sport. I, I it, so the same thing to me is good and bad. I just think that coaches should understand that they should be preaching a positive mindset and they should be preaching athletes to, to give their best and they, because they are motivators, but they should also be um, leaving the psychology of everything to specialists and the people who know what they're talking about a little bit more because you could really be putting someone off with that. So I think that's something that's good and bad. You know, it really depends on how you, as a coach, you deal with that kind of theme, you know? Yeah, definitely. So your training philosophy, how would you sum that up for us? I like to keep things fun. You know, for me, the most important thing in everything that we do is that if we don't love the basic of what we do, then we will never reach our potential. Mm. Um, I like to compare it as kind of a meditation. Um, have you ever meditated, Robbie? Yeah. Uh, yes, I have, but not my, to me, meditation can be many forms. I kind of like see walking quietly as my meditation, but I do meditate. Yes. So, I, I, I practice mindfulness if, if you want to put it that way. Okay. So let's say you have an app that create, that, that runs a meditation session and in that meditation session, you will constantly have the speaker remind you to relax and to think of nothing. There's always kind of a return to homeostasis because your mind wanders 
And then there's always a reminder, like go back to, I, I don't meditate enough to remember what the words are, but go back to, you know, the present time, think about your feet, your hands, your whatever, whatever. So there's a constant reminder because your mind will, in a, it will automatically wander off automatically. Okay. And no matter how experienced you are in meditation, maybe it happens really short or maybe it happens after 20 minutes, but your mind will wander. And the way I like to think of things is that in, in the process of becoming a CrossFit athlete, your mind wanders and your focus shifts. And there are different parts of your process where you're going to go into different directions. But what keeps you grounded is your love and your passion for what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So when I program, CrossFit to me is something that I love to do. And when you train to be the best at CrossFit, sometimes you forget to do CrossFit or sometimes you forget that you actually really love CrossFit because you get in so involved in like aerobic capacity, you get so involved in strength building and accessory work and in all these things that come with being a CrossFit Games athlete. And then you kind of get lost. And then on top of that, the top level athletes, they have to think about sponsorships. They have to think about events that they need to be present in. They have to think about travel. They have to think about themselves. They have to think about their family once in a while. There's so many things that come into play. And what keeps them grounded is what they love to do. Mm -hmm. So I really want my athletes to have fun. And before every single event at the games this year, I told them all, just have fun. Remember that you are doing this because you love it. Now, is everything fun about competing and about training? Absolutely not. But if you don't like what you're doing at the beginning, you are not going to put in the proper amount of energy and time for what your goal is. Okay, and it's gonna when you compete, you're not going to like what uh, you're. You're never going to be in a positive mindset because you're constantly thinking about how much this sucks, how much this hurts, and how much you want this over with, or how much you want to win, how much you want that result, and blah, blah, blah. And you're not going to be thinking about, okay, the CrossFit Games is, is yes, yes, I want to win. Yes, I, this, this isn't fun. Pushing a sled for 50 yards, it, it burns, and it's not fun. But the fun part is, is that at the end, you get a result from that that kind of rewards you for all the work you put in. Sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's not sometimes it's good but the fun part and the love part is really what keeps you going and and it's like what's your why kind of thing I, I know that's super cheesy but to mm -hmm. me that's really important so when I program and when I coach that's one of my priorities cool it's uh you know it, it's refreshing to hear that too uh I don't know if you know who Dan Faft is he's like one of the most successful track and field coaches of all time he's a, he'd be a mentor of mine but like he's, he's a mentor to like thousands of, well hundreds of coaches anyway um yeah. but he he was asked the same question you know like what you know what, what's what's your training philosophy and that's what he opened up but he says well number one thing is athletes have to have fun and this is a guy who's again trained olympic champions so like yeah. greg, greg rutherford gold medalist in, in um the long jump in 2012 bronze at rio and, and he, he also won world championships and commonwealth under dan as well and the europeans i think dan also coached donovan bailey 100 meter sprinter cha um, olympic champion 96 so like he's got a an immense cv as a coach and that was his number one answer he says fun ha number one thing is fun if, if athletes don't come every day or almost every day or most days and they're happy and they're having fun he says they're not gonna they're not gonna buy, buy into the process it's like when you compete and you're physically well prepared, it's going to be way easier to go into that positive mindset because you are physically, your capacity is not stopping you from something. Mm. The more prepared you are, the better you can compete against the positive mindset. And to me, the more fun you have and the more you enjoy what you're doing, the easier it is for you to push to those 
really hard times to push to a really high intensity, to push to a not so fun, but still, still kind of go there, you know? So it's a very, very important part. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's, so having fun is, is a, is a big tenant to your philosophy. If, if we, if we were now to ask what, what does your whole training system look like? So say I, I turn up at Decacomp and it's day one and you're going to be my coach. Like what happens from there? Like, so maybe talk us through like assessment and then programming and like, you know, well, take it away. I have, a, I have two like programs, so to speak. Like I'll, I, um, work with an online, like general blog kind of, kind of thing where my program is just set. And if you jump in in January, you took it in in January and I'm not reassessing. Um, if you're talking about more like an online one-on-one -on -one kind of approach. So I'm going to look at the stats and I'm going to kind of pinpoint weaknesses and things that we need to pay attention to. And I'm also going to take into consideration the athlete's uh, experience. So I'm not going to treat a one, like Laura's experience as a competitor, for example, was three years, whereas Pat's um, experience as an athlete is five years. So I'm taking into consideration that Pat has a wider pyramid, like a wider base than Laura. Um, so those are things that I take into consideration. Now, what I usually do is I try to follow the same cycle as my general blog because they're supposed to peak during the open, which like right now is kind of up in the air, but let, let's yeah, just yeah. see nothing else happen. But they're going to peak there. So I follow that. The only difference is that I'll, I'll bias the sections. Um, so my athletes that need to work on strength, but you know, I'll give them like a two months of focus on that. And then I'll kind of let that go and try and zoom in, um, uh, to keep in line with the rest of the athletes. Cause I don't want them to work on strength for too, too long. Cause they still need to kind of, um, get their intensity up and get their conditioning up. Um, but let's just say like, if, if the, the, the timing is right and they come join in on, uh, right when they should be joining in. So um, I like to keep the months of summer kind of open because that's when most of the competitive athletes have fun. They compete at local competitions. They, they do team competitions. They have a lot of fun with that. Things get pretty serious mid-July where I'll really focus on unilateral strength and really the basics of, um, of strength. Like I'll get them working with slow lifts. I'll get them working with dumbbells. I'll focus my attention on upper body strength and endurance. Um, I'll also focus on size, muscle size a little bit. Um, I'll, I'll work on their, um, I'll try and get them even from one side to another. So we'll do a lot of unilateral stuff. And then moving into September, we'll start to work on more um, general strength, like, you know, lifts in the five rep range for total volume between 25 and 35 kind of thing. Just get their, their basic strength up. And then I'll go up to uh, max strength kind of portion, then I'll go into a more power phase where we'll work on barbell conditioning and I'll get them working on volume with barbells and then slowly peak up to a one rep kind of power output. And then after that, we fall into the open prep where it's going to be really more uh, Metcon style. Um, things are going to be a little bit more varied. I'll plug in some heavy lifts. I'll plug in some power lifts, um, some weightlifting, like Olympic weightlifting stuff. And I kind of vary things a little bit like that. So that's the kind of basic. It starts with slow and unilateral. It moves on to slow, but a little bit heavier. And then it goes on to faster, um, but heavier. And then faster and one rep and then moving on to conditioning. 
And is there, uh, say just w- with you uh, on site, so in your gym, do you do any assessments? Like, do you do, do you look at any movement assessments? Then do you look at any strength assessments and then any energy system assessments to kind of pinpoint where someone might be weakest? You know, so you might have someone who moves well and they're super strong, but from an energy system standpoint, they're pretty poor. They need some aerobic yeah. work or maybe glycolytic work. I see that with their stats, like, uh, I'll okay. ask them, like, I'll use CrossFit benchmark workouts for me as a guide, because logistic, like, realistically, unless you're a games athlete, you are not going to be doing a marathon row. Yeah, you are yeah. not going to be doing a 5K run as a test. So my focus in, just so that I don't expand myself too thin, my focus on is on CrossFit Games competition. Yeah. And, the games competition you're not doing strictly aerobic it doesn't it doesn't really exist so i use kind of benchmarks to kind of assess that yeah. i'll also look at things like wow you're really good at couplets but you're really not good at triplets um you know like those are the things that i kind of tend to look at a little bit more rather than energy systems yeah. like there's something like there's something to be said where like oh yeah aerobically you're really poor so we're going to do that but doing a triplet for 20 minutes is, to me is not the same as being poor in aerobic capacity. It means that maybe we need to work on their transitioning and there's something in those triplets that I need to assess uh, more specifically than just their, their system. Mm-hmm. Like for example, if there's an aerobic workout in CrossFit that has squats, so I'm gonna look at, for example, um, um, uh, let's say Kelly, for example, that has wall balls. Um, to me, you're right, like it's an aerobic workout, but there's squats in there. If someone has weak legs and, and weak endurance in, in a high-volume squat, to me that says more about the, about the athlete than the aerobic system. Um, so I try to look at that, like in CrossFit workouts, where are you weaker? More than in, in like, like just energy systems. Mm-hmm. Um. In in terms of like how you program, who who have you learned from? Like who've been your biggest influence on, on how you like to program? Um, a lot of the programming that I do is really based on experience. Like Ben Bergeron, when he programmed for me, did a really, really good job. So I inspire myself a lot from what I did with him. Um, but to be honest with you, like everybody, you know, like I got into CrossFit not knowing anything about that, and I learned a lot because I paid attention to what the effects were. Um I I um uh, you know, Chris Hinshaw is a big inspiration for me when I want to work on more aerobic style stuff, but I don't keep it as pure as he does. Mm. Um, I'm not as, I'm not a numbers girl. Like I'm just not, I'm a feeling person. I always kind of learn from that. And to me, it's, um, anyone, athletes who are in tune with their feelings will understand when I write, like you should be feeling this way and blah, blah, blah. And that's how I describe my workouts. I don't like to use paces because I'm just not good at that. Mm. So, but that being said, Chris's pacing in his workouts have really helped me kind of program that style. Um, I also learned a lot from Jesse Burdick when he came and gave a seminar about the conjugate system. I learned a lot from that. So I really, in my day, I will really choose my movements based on what my main focus is. So if in my workout, if in my day of training, my second session, my second section is a squat, my Metcon will be to accessorize that squat. So in my Metcon, you might see wall balls and you might see box jumps and you might see lunges because my goal is to accessorize that squat. And that's how they do it in the conjugate system a lot. 
So his way of seeing things, and when he explained that conjugate system, it completely changed the way I chose my Metcons based on what I was working on as a strength or technical component of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think just going back to like, uh, you know, aerobic development, I think a lot of people too, like when they hear the word aerobic, they just think of like running, whereas like there's, there's so many ways to develop the aerobic system. You know what I mean? There's, there's wow. many, you can develop the aerobic system through many different means and exercise, not just through running. So like you were alluding to like with the wall ball, I mean, I mean, if you're doing that for any significant period of time, it is aerobic. It's an aerobic. Right. Yeah, so. But it depends on the strength of the athlete and the strength and endurance of the athlete. So I'm taking wall ball because like as a woman, for a guy, I think you're totally right because they're heavier than the ball. And the ball is like, they're generally taller. So it becomes a very cyclical movement. But mm. you're talking to someone that wall ball for me for a long time was a really muscular work movement for me. My shoulders were too weak to, for it to become totally aerobic. Mm, mm. Yeah. Um, so that's where my assessment will be. You know, like um, if the wall ball is stopping you from working aerobically and we can tell because of the way they break and how they breathe the team sets. Yeah, yeah. That to me is an issue for the athlete in terms of endurance in the movement. That movement needs to be worked on on its own. It cannot be considered aerobic for me when I program for that athlete. Yeah. In that situation, then would you focus on developing upper body strength for the female so that so then she can make wall ball aerobic because she's strong enough? So there aerobic. are many ways of doing it. Like I can either give her or him uh, lighter wall balls. Yeah. And then they can kind of kind of hit two nails on the head where they're using the same movement, they're working on the endurance of that movement pattern, but they're not struggling with throw. Or it could also be just, you know, instead of giving them wall balls, I'm going to give them just a lot of dumbbell push presses. Mm, interesting. You know, things like that, where I'm going to maybe work aerobic in a different way. Um, and I'm going to also focus on movement conditioning. Mm. Uh, in terms of just say now a general population person coming into your on-site gym there do you like is there any sort of prerequisites you look at with them even just like do you do any movement screening with them or do you uh, we do not, not. Our, we we thought about a lot of different ways so deca comp and deca crossfit are like kind of different yeah yeah um um deca crossfit what we do is we try to have more coaches on the floor rather than assessing individual athlete needs like and taking them aside and doing like more PT work. Mm. We decided to stay really more like a true CrossFit gym. And so when people come in and do their free trials, we have specific classes that they can come into when we know that the classes are less busy and we still have two coaches on the floor. Yeah. Once we have that, then we take that athlete and we really look at how they move and we scale the weight so that they can respect the basic um, requirements that we ask for. Um, and we have eyes on them um, uh, uh, for way longer. Mm. But we also kind of like to give them a little bit of freedom so that they understand that when they're coming into DECA CrossFit, um, they're not coming into a private training facility. They're coming into a group class facility. And if they're not comfortable with that, they need to know from the beginning. Um, so, but we do really try and, and uh, I think we do a really good job at it. We, we, we make sure that our coaches know who is beginner within three months and they stick close to them. So the way we work is that our drop-in, or not our drop-ins, but I should say that our free trials are, are kind of with our assistant coach. And then once they decide, okay, I want to sign up, 
So what we do is we offer one phase one class where it's a sit down, kind of more theoretical class. We sit down with them and we explain to them how we work. We tell them um, that uh, when you read a workout, what these means, what are these rep schemes. Um, we have a strength component, we have a metabolic component. When you look at the, the whiteboard, this is what that means, this is what this means. Mm. We explain to them that when they come in, they're in a group class setting, that basically housekeeping rules, that they, can, they won't be kind of like scared to ask questions. We just sit them down and we tell them. Yeah. Um, and then after that, we take them for a, with a PVC, kind of like the level one. Um, we look at all the basic barbell movements with the PVC and we go through them um, as slowly as we can. And then after that, they just kind of jump into the class and we make sure that we tell them, like, if you want to be really um, more um, followed, these are the time slots that are more comfortable usually for beginners because there's less people or there's two coaches. And we kind of guide them through that. And then uh, the, the assistant coaches, their job is to be with those people and make sure they do things right, they scale things right, and et cetera, et cetera. So they are very, our, our new members are very well um, uh, how do you say like um, looked after they are very well looked after but we don't take away the crossfit style class because we don't we want them to know what they're getting into yeah and then from a nutrition and lifestyle perspective do you do much with your members at the deck of crossfit we have a nutritionist on site so when Brilliant. people ask us questions we um, like i can answer basic questions but yeah, when, yeah when someone has um uh desire to really to go to that next level for weight for their weight loss or, or even their performance needs, we send them to her. Great, great. Um, just going back there now to I had another question there, but it'll come to me. I thought I had another question about your deck of CrossFit, but go actually. Well, I want to go on to talk about Patrick and Laura. So obviously, they they had a, a an excellent 2018, both finishing second at the games. And um, maybe just discuss like what what is it like to work with both Patrick and, and Laura, and where 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 do you think they can make further improvements? And do you see Pat like does he have the potential to overtake Matt? And do you see Laura having the potential to actually go on and win the games herself? Uh, yes, and yes, I definitely see that potential. I think that it would be, you know, uh, like I'm realistic. You know, I think Pat's gonna have a harder time than Laura. Um, Simply, simply because Pat is just not as proficient with heavier loads and with Olympic lifting. And if you take that out, I think that Pat and Matt are very, very close. Mm. But just because of that, I think that Pat's technical work needs to get better. Now, Pat's going to be really, really hard. Um, and, you know, after 2017, I told, we sat down together and he knew straight up. I, I told him, I'm like, you know, the only where, the only place we can go to get you better is more volume. Um, your your quality of work is there the quality of his intensity is there the quality of his um gymnastic skill is there his weightlifting isn't quite there yet but um everything else is really really good his movement pattern is very consistent there's nothing that's glaring um so i thought you know we have to expand rather than um become too precise Mm. I think it's helped a lot this year because I don't think I've ever seen him as strong and as consistently strong throughout the weekend. So that strategy really worked well for him. Yeah. And now because we had that 2017 with so much volume, 
I think the next step right now is to kind of go back into a more precise way of training and look at quality and look at little details and forget kind of high, high volume over programming kind of struggle kind of lifestyle where he was like, I, you know, I had no choice to over program things and make things overly difficult for him because he didn't know how to struggle. Yeah. But now he knows how to struggle. So I feel very confident that if we go into like details of um, sprinting technique, weightlifting technique and gymnastics endurance, I think that we're going to be able to get in that one step higher. With Laura, it's a little bit easier because she's still so raw. Yeah. Um, we can kind of still work on on certain specifics, um, muscular, like muscularly, there's a lot of things that we need to kind of get her up to par. We still need to get her, her press stronger. We still need to get her squat stronger. Um, and we still need to get her um, gymnastics stronger. Um, so I don't have to go as uh, precisely as I do with Pat. But um, I think the main concern with Laura is getting her speed up to par, her, her barbell cycling speed. Just that, I think we can get her on top um, of the podium. So, Laura, we're still at a stage where I can still kind of encompass a little bit more. Yeah, raw, raw is the exact word I, I would use to describe yeah. raw. I remember that, sorry, the question uh -huh. I, I was going to ask, I remember it there, it was just again at uh, Decker Crossroads, so again, on being on site with you, how do you go about individualizing for maybe your competitors if you have any on site uh, versus when you're training just more your general population like how does how, how does that um work they do the same the way decacomp works is decacomp is my way when i when i started decacomp it was my way of um filling a gap that had that a lot of gyms had where the competitors were doing something else and they never stepped foot in class and they didn't want to do class and they didn't think that the class was good for them and the regular member. So I created like a comp with that in mind where I, when I was competing, I really wanted to do class. I wanted to do class because as a coach at my gym, I felt like people were scared to even talk to me Yeah, yeah. because I looked so focused or because I was always training on my own, but they barely talked to me outside of class. So I was frustrated with that. And I, every once in a while I would forego my conditioning and I would do the, the class with my members so that I can be with them and be in the community. So Decacomp was created for that. So what I do is my A, B, C, D, E, F, whatever, whatever. In that day, there's going to be one or two components that I take out and I put in my class. Yeah. So all our competitors will do their extra work on their own, on the side, do whatever. And then after that, when it's time for the class, they, they jump in with the class. So they're being coached, but they're also learning how to do things on someone else's time, which is super important as a competitor. Yeah, and I, I heard you on uh, my Muscle Project and on the Chief Life podcast. You know, I actually asked this question because I, I kind of knew your answer, and I was just—I think it was—it's interesting for the listeners here. I believe you. I, I think, but I think on the my Muscle one, you also said that you will individualize a little more for the CrossFit competitors, but you still like them to get their extra volume in through some of the classes, so they're getting yeah, the best—they're yeah. getting the best of both worlds. Because I actually remember watching the little documentary on Laura uh, on um, on her sort of you know day in the life of Laura. Uh, Harvard uh, um, and like in that she did a few classes like at her at her at her gym like so as well as doing her own individual bits so I found that interesting as well yeah, so once in a while um, 
Uh, I'll program literally in there. So Laura and Pat are both on an individual program. They're really like yeah. uh, kind of separate from what I do with the deck of comp, um, depending on the time of year. Because right now when they're going to jump in, they're going to follow the, the main deck of comp plus accessory work special for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially on Saturdays when, when I feel like it's a, it's a kind of day that you just want to enjoy yourself and and you want to be around people and, and it's, it's the weekend for everybody, you know? So on Saturdays, I'll give them what I want them to do. And then the second session will be a uh, jump into class with friends or do a team workout with buddies or whatever. And that's the fun part. That's going to be, mm. and even this year, I think that um, with Pat, I'm going to write that a little bit more. Good. Great stuff. Great stuff. Um, going into your biggest lessons you have learned so far in your career in life, what, what would you say are, are some of the top lessons you've learned so far? Um, some of the top lessons that I've learned so far is that I have, like, you know, there's a, a, there's a lot of imposter syndrome that I've been through in my life, Mm. both as an athlete and as a coach. And, um, I think that, uh, right now I kind of feel where I'm at a point where I don't need to feel like that. Like I, everything I've done and all the success I've had is actually because I work hard and I feel like I do things right for me. Yeah. The, the, the path I decided to go is, is a good path. Um, and, and the more I talk with people and the more I talk with my athletes, I feel like the more confidence I have with that. So it comes with the idea also that um, you learn to really put yourself aside. It's very easy to get in like, my programming is an extension of me, so it's kind of easy to get offended when people don't agree with my ideas or people kind of um, either discuss my idea or, or for example, Pat and I don't like we don't always see eye to eye. And yeah. Pat has in the past told me that my strategy ideas for him were were not the right ones. And at first, I used to be like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" So I'm not I'm not good enough to coach this guy. He's <laughs> clearly I'm not up to par with his level or man he doesn't like me like gosh, maybe I'm not that good of a coach or things like that and, and the more I do this the more I realize that you know his the reason why he's saying that is because he is he's a smart guy and he understands the importance of of, um, of telling me communicating with me basically so I've learned a lot to athlete communicating with me if it's not in line with what I'm saying it's not an insult to what I'm doing what it is is it's just something it's an opportunity for me to become a better coach Mm. so I guess the biggest lesson really is that I you have to really uh, not take things so personal your programming is an extension of your ideas but it's it's not like it's not you and it's always up for debate and that should it should be the case yeah if not then i would i would not get them better and i would i would not get better either yeah it's more of a instead of you being a, a an autocrat it's more about you facilitating the athlete so yeah, yeah i've seen that where coaches get offended if the athlete you know questions or, or makes a suggestion to the program and you know instead of being offended they should be open to that yeah and it's something that i kind of had to go through also there was a lot of coaches where i would kind of ask questions and it was always like oh well no do it do what's written on the program or or kind of like um 
just not being open to why I was saying certain things. Yeah, and then yeah. sometimes you have to understand that athletes just need to complain about things. Yeah, and, yeah. and it makes them feel better. It makes them feel heard. And then, you know, Pat often sends me messages like, this is ridiculous. And, and he wrote it down for a reason. And my answer will be like, well, if you think it's too much, then, then why don't we lower the weight or lower the reps or whatever? And then if his answer is, yeah, I think that's a good idea, then that was a legit cause for concern. Yeah. But if the answer is, oh, no, it's fine, I'll do it. It's just that it's going to be hard. Yeah. Then it's like, okay, fine. Then, then if you realize that, that it's going to be hard, like, that's okay. To me, that if, if you took the time to tell me something, that means that there could possibly be something wrong with what I wrote. And it's yeah. happened to me before where I wrote something and I made a huge mistake. Yeah. And it's a running gag. There's a workout that I programmed for all my games athletes before the games. It was unfinished, undoable. Um, because when I wrote it down, I thought of percentage and I was thinking about, well, I think I could have done this when I was competing. So let's write these percentages down. And I was completely wrong. But if they hadn't wrote me and complained to me, like Laura doesn't complain at all. She did it. And she told me that she almost cried after, but I'm like, if you would have told me like before or during, I would have changed it. Yeah. Yeah. So Just I think those are important. Um, it's those are opportunities you can capitalize on, but you can really easily get offended by that and kind of feel self-conscious about it. Yeah, I heard you talking about the time when your back was at you, and and I think Ben was trying to adapt your Olympic lifting movement, and you just yeah, yeah you used that as an example there. I was at, I was at a point where so I had sustained a back injury, and my problem with my back injury was that um, it was affecting my sciatic nerve. And because it was affecting my sciatic nerve, my hamstring and my glutes were super, super tight. It's like a protective response. Yeah. And um, so when I would lower the bar, it would hurt. But then eventually I got treatment for that and my muscles were starting to get loose. So I wanted to work on barbell cycling. Um, this is a separate example that I think I gave to you, but it's kind of the same pro uh, problem. But when I started to loosen up and started to feel like I can work on that eccentric portion of the clean, um, I decided uh, on for one one workout where I was like, I'm going to lower the weight and I'm going to do um, a return that's a little bit slower. And he wanted me just to do singles and go heavier. And I didn't agree with that because um, I personally, I wanted to work on my posterior chain because I knew that that would affect me in my lightweight's higher rep. Um, so it was important to me. And we had a really big discussion about that. And his answer was, well, you're never going to do that weight in touch and go in competition. You're always going to do singles. And I said, I 100% agree with you. But if I can train at a moderate weight with an eccentric, that 95-pound clean and jerk will be, to me, safer to bring down. Yeah. So where I saw a training opportunity to prevent further issues, um, further down the road, he saw just a change in workout on the spot. And I understood what he was saying, but to me, it's like, if I know I'm going to do single in competition, then why on earth would I be training? Why on earth would I only train that when I can, when I can train differently and blah, blah, blah. So there's a lot of things that um, him, him and I never like didn't see eye to eye with, but I never felt like there was a, um, kind of like dialogue that would be like, okay, so why is it that you want to do touch and go so that I can understand how to program for you or whatever? How has being a, a previous CrossFit athlete given you more empathy as a coach? 
it, at the beginning it was really hard. I, I, I have to say at the beginning, there was a lot of times where I was being a little bit more like a mom, where I was like, oh, you don't have to do this, it hurts too much. And <laughs> at the beginning, I was like so fed up of hurting that it kind of hurt me to watch them hurt. Yeah. I think I've become a little bit more desensitized to that. And I think that it's very, very important for them to hurt. And by hurt, I mean push hard, not like, not like physically hurt themselves. Yeah, yeah, I got you. At first, that was something that I was constantly kind of like catching myself being like, no, they need to do this because no one's going to tell them to scale in competition. So at one point, I was putting a little bit too much emphasis on the stimulus and not enough emphasis on the standards. Yeah. Just one, one final question I meant to ask about Pat there was, um, do you think he would benefit from a year completely dedicated to CrossFit? Like, so when he finishes chiropractic school and if he was to take a year and just dedicate to CrossFit, do you think that would make a big change? Um, no, I don't think so. I don't, not for Pat. I think for some, but not for Pat. Pat's the kind of guy that needs to be stimulated a little bit any, anyhow. Like, like, for example, in 2017, Pat had the games in between events. He was reading his book. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. Does he, yeah. does he, I always get this image, too, that he's, like, adjusting people, too. You know, people, hey, Pat, can you just, like, crack my back? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> um, Pat is one of those guys that just needs multiple things in his life. Yeah. And I was kind of like that, too. I, I worked always. Like, I never had a year completely dedicated to CrossFit. Yeah, and yeah. I think that Pat is also, he's a very intellectual person. He needs to be stimulated intellectually. Yeah. And I don't think that one year of training would do that for him. Yeah, because I heard him on with the, with the, again, with Ralph and um, Lachlan after the games and my muscle projects. And he was saying, like, you know, he, he even went out to dinner with his family and he said, there's other athletes that would just be completely locked off for the, for the few days yeah. while, they're, while they're at Madison. He's like, he couldn't do that. He needs to be around people and make time for his family. And, 100%. Pat's also, Pat is very, very aware of his surroundings. He is like a sponge. He can see everything and anything, and that's a lot of information. Yeah. So I think that if he were to do only something, I think he would get overwhelmed by that. Yeah. And the fact that there's a lot of variety around him kind of helps him let go. And there are some athletes that do really well when they don't overthink, and there's some athletes that do really well when they really focus their attention entirely on what they're doing. And that's uh, what oh, yeah, sorry. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. I think that's where, like, we were talking about the difference in coaching Laura and Pat. Laura is the opposite. Laura wants to focus on training because she loves training mm-hmm. and she loves sport. She loves learning new skills. She loves she loves working on weaknesses. She loves that. She feeds off of that. Pat is the same, but not to the same intensity. Yes, they're, they're different. Like everyone's different for that. How how was the communication between Pat and Laura over the few days of Madison at the games? Like, it, was it was it stressful on you in any way? Like having to go from um, one to the other, or not at all? I think uh, Laura is a very independent athlete. She's she's like the right kind of balance between a dependent athlete and, and an independent athlete. Like, yeah. Laura looks to me a lot on strategy. She asks me a lot of questions about how she can approach things, and I have a I have a little bit more hands on her performances than I do with Pat. Yeah. Um, but they are super understanding that I had multiple athletes. Um, Laura is um, so she's great to work with. Pat is very independent. Like in between events, like we barely spoke. He went in the back, did his own thing, and yeah. and uh, there was no stress with that at all. 
Do you prefer training males or females? And if and if one, why? No, no preference. No I think preference. that I think that um, there are pros and cons about both. I think as a woman, I have a natural tendency to feel a little bit more self-conscious about how people talk to me. Yeah. Um, so that that problem is like when Pat would kind of when we would discuss strategy and Pat would tell me abruptly like no that's not going to work he would use different words but like i had to like double check that i didn't take it personally and i wasn't like taking it back by it yeah yeah um, and then but then girls can be a little bit more emotional when they compete and when they train um so there are def- different levels and it also all personality wise like everyone is different boy or girl you know yeah. um, but i don't have any preference i have like the advantage of me coaching a girl is I have reference points to what's good and what's not good for men. I'm a little bit more off with my paces and that's why Pat has to do a little bit of a better job for himself to kind of come up with strategies because I'm still learning what guys are doing, what the standard is for guys paces and, and weights and stuff like that. Is there, I won't keep you too much longer now, but if you're okay for 10, if you've got to go, you can just, you can tell me, but uh, that's fine. Yeah, totally good. Brilliant, brilliant. No, because I have a lot. Well, I have more questions. Um, what would you say is the biggest difference, though, from training a male to a female in, in CrossFit? Like, you know, generally, like I know one one area a lot of people say they focus on females is uh, females seem to need a lot more upper body work because there's so much upper body stuff in CrossFit, and females are generally are relatively more weak in upper body. Is there anything else you see, just in a kind of a general sort of sense? Like, usually females need to focus on this a little more than males, and then vice versa. Um. Yeah. Definitely. For sure, the upper body, um, especially the pressing. Um, is a, a very big focus. I mean, Laura is our main focus right now. Like the only thing I'm thinking about is getting that press up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but again, it really depends on the background more than anything. You know, like most of the time with certain women, getting them really good on the bike is very hard. But Laura is like freaking phenomenal at most engine stuff that guys are really good at. Yeah, yeah. So it really depends on the athlete. But I think for women. Um, women's a little bit easier because they're going to be like, you want me to work on this? Okay. Like they're super open to being told what to do. They're open to learning new things and they're very, they're going to look for that kind of technical coaching and that kind of stuff. Whereas guys are going to be a little bit like, yeah, I can do it. I can get away with it. You know, they're going to rely a little bit too much on strength. Um, so, but again, like look at, look at Pat, like Pat all year last year, we had to work on his press. Yeah. All year, his upper body was not not terrible, but compared to other guys, because of the length of his arms, we had to spend a lot of a lot of time on that. Yeah. Um, but those long those long arms held him deadlifts and fuck his deadlifts unreal. <laughs> did, did you give him shit over that? Why did you pull five nine? Why not six? He was saying no, like, I don't. <laughs> he, he was I saying he. he yeah, he was saying on the on the my muscle, he goes, I was like, I only thirty seconds. I just shoved the plates on. I wasn't even counting. Yeah, everyone said, why not six hundred? But I understand 100% why not 600 because in the heat of the moment, you're not thinking straight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, shit, I have to go heavier. And you're not, like, sometimes you completely forget what's on the boxer. Yeah. You know? So I I understood that 100%. It's disappointing that he didn't hit the 600, but I... (laughs) But Pat's a lot stronger than he gives himself credit for. Absolutely, know? absolutely. So. I- interested to hear your thoughts too on the 2018 games. Um, 
what like what 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 we are taught as as an event so like you know just like the whole thing over over the over the five days in Madison what what were your thoughts yeah this is where oftentimes I kind of have different views of some other coaches yeah um, because I feel like like coaches have very strong opinions on the games um me personally every game is what it is you know because I was an athlete I kind of grew accustomed to accepting whatever came up. Like I, if, at the beginning, I always had an opinion on the games, and I was like, "Oh, this is stupid. This is this is, this is that." Like I can't believe we're doing this and that. Yeah. And the more experience I got, the more I was like, "You know what? This is what it is." Just There's get on. Just get on with it. Yeah. There was very little emotion attached to what I thought about um, about the games. Um, obviously, there are some years that I still like. For example, 2015, like I thought they were out to, to kill us. But but this year, I really, really enjoyed the test. I I I thought the events were fun. I thought the athletes had had a lot of fun. I thought that athletes never came back looking completely like completely wrecked. Yeah. I felt like let's take out a marathon row because obviously that's just that I thought that was excessive. But I felt like they did a really good job this year with creativity, and I thought that the athletes had a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was the best spectacle. I enjoyed watching the events, and I think it's the only CrossFit Games that still today, like because I, I like to rewatch the events to to look a little bit more into detail on certain things. But I feel like this year's events are events that I'm not going to be pissed about rewatching. I except, really except except Martin Rowe. <laughs> yeah. I, but you know what? I was in the stands during the marathon row, and I was so surprised at how fast they were going. Yeah, it was incredible. I did the marathon. I did the I did the half marathon in 2013, and I was looking at the girls' paces, and I couldn't believe it. I yeah. couldn't believe what they were rowing. Yeah, yeah. Kami, Kami. I beat Kami in the half marathon row uh, in 2013, and she pulled a two an average 217. Yeah, it's phenomenal. So it was. I, I actually, I, I agree with you too. I, I thought the events from for this year were actually, you know, pr- pretty good. I, I, uh, I really liked the chaos, uh, the chaos workout. I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it was so. It was so funny too with Brent Fikowski on that because, like, on the burpee, he didn't have to jump, but then, but then it kind of evened out because then he had to like single leg squats and like so like yeah. Matt, yeah, so like Matt Fraser obviously had the upper hand on the single leg squats, yeah. but he had to jump for the burpees. It was kind of. It was I fun. absolutely loved the high box jumps. I thought that was such a good something that we've never seen before that high, and I train my athletes a lot on that because Laura is a naturally slow moving athlete. Yeah. One of the things that, and Pat too, Pat's like a slower moving athlete. I have to say, I have to say, he looks such, he looked like such a dude doing that. Just with yeah. the sunglasses on, he just kept going, box down, next one, box down. He just kept going with the glasses like on. Terminator, you know? Yeah, yeah, you were just, it's like, this guy is a machine. Look at him, he just keeps going. I love it. But you know what? So I, those box jumps were, to me, a highlight of, of the games because that's something that I train a lot. When, when my slower twitch athletes move and I give them heavy uh, box, uh, back squats or front squats or whatever, I'll often accessorize that with some high box jumps yeah. so that they get their fast twitch moving even though their slow twitch is dominant. Um, and it's something that, as you can see, like Laura did phenomenal in, Pat did phenomenal in. So that was, I was so happy when that came out because it really proved to me that what I was doing was like, Okay, this is good. I'm gonna keep doing this. 
And when I saw how how some athletes had so much difficulty with jumping high, I'm like, wow, this is something that athletes are going to need to think about because it's it's an important skill. Jumping high is an important skill. Absolutely. What what was the conversation with Pat after day one? Obviously, you know, with with the issue with the bike and then his fall. Yeah. That. Um, that was unfortunate, and a lot of people really hated that event. I think they hated how how outlier it was. They hated how it was like a like competing in a different sport. I personally really liked him. I, uh, you know, I think that their safety is an issue, but fuck sport. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's funny too because uh, well sorry like the, the fall was funny but it's just that like Matt Fraser absolutely got bust as well just literally before Pat fell as well his fall just wasn't as bad but it was just like Fraser bang and it was like oh Pat's one was like whoa what the fuck it's just like yeah, everyone, but, everyone forgot about Matt there because Pat's one was so much severe looking yeah Pat's crash was hard you can see like when he was turning the corner he was really close to that bale of hay yeah as he was turning next to the bale of hay there's a, a cyclist that kind of cut him inside, and then his front wheel hit that back wheel of the rider. He veered to the left, and so to avoid the hail of bay, he went straight to the right, and that's when he crashed. But those are things that happen, and I think that you can't have, like, fuck, there's no such thing as a clean competition. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, like, those are setbacks that are gonna happen. And yeah. people have to stop. People have to stop seeing the cyclocross or the sorry the crit event as a crit event. It's one event out of thirteen. Yeah, that's what it is. But you know? uh, sorry, I was talking about uh, Pat's fall too off the net. So like oh, what I'm saying. Yeah, you know what I'm saying is Matt Frazier literally had a had a like he fell just oh, before Pat, and it's just what I'm saying is Pat's fall was so bad that everyone just forgot about Frazier's fall. Like Frazier got bust as well oh, after that. Matt Fraser is a lucky man because if his foot hadn't gotten caught in that net, he would have fallen on his head. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. No, no, no one talks about it because of obviously Pat's one happened right after that, and that, that was pretty severe as well. Pat fell good, like he fell on his side, like he didn't fall at an angle where his head was compromised. But Matt could have really gotten hurt on that. He's yeah, very definitely. lucky. Just one, one final question there, just about your experience at the games. Um, what what is it like, sort of? This is just a, a kind of a curious question, and I'm sure listeners will want to know too. What's it like, sort of, in the in, in, you know backstage among the coaches uh, and the athletes? Like, so, like we you know, let's say, like you see, like Shane Orr or a Ben Berger on there. Like, do you stop and talk and have crack, or is it serious, or what? What's what's that? Um, for? Some coaches are more serious than others, you know. Well, some, what, what what are you like? Do you, do you keep poker face or do you have fun? Um, I talk to whoever wants to talk. You know, like. Um, I'm not, I'm naturally, I'm not a very outgoing person. So I, I don't go up to people and make conversations, you know, like I'm not. You're intimidating, you know, you're intimidating, Michelle. I don't know about that. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> but um, some coaches are really there for business and they're all about their athlete and everything. And some coaches are really just there to be the, the moral support and the, the, the calm, the calm presence for the athletes, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'd say that, for the most part, everyone's pretty friendly. You know, there are some quits. Some of them are, are, are also there for the social. So, uh, is there is there was there any any surprises like was there any athletes at the games that surprised you in terms of how well they done yeah. or or even now or was there on the opposite end that was there anyone at the games you expected to do better? Well, Willie Georges surprised me. 
Yeah, he was good. Um, Willie George, that's such a cool name, Willie yeah, George. Willie George. Um, he surprised me quite a bit. I mean, like, I had, we started working together only after regional, so I didn't know very much about him at all. So he surprised me quite a bit. And then some athletes that I was expecting a little bit more, I'm trying to think because, you know, I'm not there, I'm not looking at other, other athletes' like performances. Um, I was really surprised uh, with Brooke Wells again. Like, I thought she was going to do better off the bat. She finished really strong, but there were still some events where you can see some weaknesses. Yeah. Um, Sarah surprised me too a little bit. Like, um, she was injured though was she like there yeah. you, you could see too that she was kind of like working around because there obviously the the video of her deadlifts like i mean there she was compensating for something there like she there was something hurting and then there was another I think deadlift was why she got hurt yeah I think compensating. I think oh yeah yeah but th there was another clip for two doing a, uh, a power clean and jerk and it was in slow motion and you can actually see as she goes to press like she's torquing her body like you know what i mean so obviously yeah. she obviously had something wrong with her neck and shoulder at the end of last year and a rib issue too so yeah, yeah i mean um, i i was i was a bit disappointed for her because she does put yeah, a lot of before that like my my i guess my surprise was more like watching her in the back just you know, and I don't want to insult her, or maybe I'm completely wrong, but it just feels like she's not having fun. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree. I'd agree. Uh, that, and that was the sense, I, that was the sense most, like even the commentator said, is like, it's not usually the warm, la, you know, bubbly Sarah you, you usually see. I always get the feeling off her, like she just, tr she just overtrains, like she doesn't recover enough. She just always looks like she's just like going, going, going. I need to figure out what she really likes to do and if she really loves to do CrossFit. If that's the case, then she'll resettle herself. Yeah, big time. Just, um, yeah. Just uh, fi finishing up here. What are your thoughts on the new format for CrossFit? Well, I, you know, I don't want to even talk too much about it because we don't have an official announcement yet. And until yeah. we have an official announcement yet, then then it's just thinking about things that are possible. So I'm just I'm just doing what I'm doing, and and things are going to change once we really know. I think that it was really stupid to announce that without having an actual announcement. Yeah. I think it's, you know, people trying to, I honestly think Greg's just trying to talk to the people who talk and I don't know, it just feels like it was trying to panic for absolutely, absolutely no reason. Yeah, yeah. So whatever the format is, it's going to be like, again, like whatever the format is, it's going to be that format. And okay. 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 About it. And I just no have yeah, I just have two more questions for you, and then we're, we'll wrap up. Um, what, uh, what, what, what would be your top and current book recommendations? So, what's your favorite book of all time that you give away, and then what are you currently reading right now? I, I didn't hear it kind of cut off. What uh, your your top your top book recommendation, and what are you currently reading right now? A book recommendation. Yeah, a book. Right now, I'm currently reading two books. I'm reading um, a strength and programming book by Ripto. Oh yeah. For, for, for just like professional. Yeah. And I'm yeah. really enjoying it. And um, I'm also reading for personal. I'm reading uh, all the lights we cannot see. Okay. Uh, I can't remember the other. I had the book with me, but I can't what's, remember. What's uh, what, what? What's your favorite book of all time? I believe on the my most one you said it was some. It was some Italian book, was it? Like, was it like a philosophy? Uh, I don't know if it's my favorite book. So, uh, one of the books that I read when I was in uh, Sejep in school um, is a philosophy book by Franco Ferrucci. Okay. And um, his, his, uh, his philosophy is very down to earth and 
basically it's a book about why we exist. He answer he answers the question why we are here. So what was the answer? Uh, I, you have to read the book. It's in Italian. I don't I don't read Italian. No, no, it's also oh that's what I was saying. Yeah, unfortunately, they never made a French or uh, sorry, they never made an English translation. Yeah. The book was translated in French and in another language and in Italian. Um, but really, to make a long story short, what he said is that the only thing that connects all of us on this planet is life. Yeah. And that's the one energy that is present in all, on all the planet. Plants, animals, us, whatever. And he, well, keep in mind that this is really simple, but he goes into religion, he goes into sport, he goes into all these things. But he just basically says that if that is the driving force, then our reason for existence is to learn. Yeah. Because through our knowledge, life adapts. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that goes into the whole survival of the fittest theory at, um, and all that thing. So, so the theory of evolution is what I meant. So that's his idea that we are here to learn. But he, the way he writes things, you start to realize how people don't deal well with with uh, randomness. They need a purpose, and the simple purpose of learning is just not enough for some people. Yeah. And so religion was created. Sports became religion for some, where they kind of distract themselves by always talking about one thing and blah, blah, blah. So it was a very eye-opening book and it made me appreciate little things a lot. Like it made me an artist because you start to realize the beauty, um, the, the, the importance of, of physical things, not like not like homes and money and stuff, but like flowers and trees and, and how things are in our world. You kind of realize how this is so random and then you appreciate that it's there. Yeah. You know, it is randomly there. You cannot explain why the flower is there. You can explain the science of how it grew and the science of what color it is and what it smells like, but you'll never be able to explain why the flower is there. Yeah. That's one of his examples. Well, what, what is the name of the book, the actual name? It's um, in French. It translates to a letter to a teenager about happiness. Okay. All right. Because I, I have to put that in the show notes. So uh, last two here. If, if you only had one year left on planet Earth, how would you spend that year? Um, you know, it's funny because I've always been complaining about how much I travel, but I think that I would definitely travel with, with my family. I would be okay. traveling. I would be trying to visit as much culture as I can. Final one. We're going to go to dinner and you can invite five people to this dinner, dead or alive. Who would you invite to dinner and why? Serena Williams, because I admire her so much for not only being one of the best athletes in the world, but also being woman and black in a white person's sport. Yeah. I think that she's the quintessential example of beating all odds. Yeah. Um, on top of being a mom. So I think she's like one of my favorites. I would definitely invite that philosopher, Franco Ferrucci, to, you know, kind of pick his brain a little bit more about that. Um, I would love to talk to any impressionist painter about 
their life and, and their genre and their timeline, like when they were painting during the war and all that stuff. Like, those are things that I would really like to. Yeah, because you, you, went, you went to art school. We, yeah, yeah. We, we, we didn't mention that today. Were you, yeah, uh, I went to, I studied fine arts and design. Yeah. Um, I'm like, I am purposefully excluding my close family, okay? Yeah, that's okay. Sorry. And then who else? That's three. Damn. Um, I'm trying to think here. Yeah, take your time. I think I would... I kind of want to say Trump, even though his his presence disgusts me. I would really want to know. Like, I would. I am so curious about his legitimacy and and how he actually thinks and what if there is actually merit to what he's saying and good ideas behind what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. And then yes. I would really like to talk to Nelson Mandela. Oh, nice, yeah. Oh, you know what? No, I scratched that, scratched that. Um, oh, God, I read her book recently, and I, and I absolutely love her. What's her name? Um, she, wrote, she wrote so many books, and she wrote, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. Uh, Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou. Well, I never heard of her. Yeah, look her up. Brilliant. Maya Angelou is actually, she was also one of my favorite books. Why the, I know why the cage bird sings. She's a, a black uh, act, uh, rights activist, um, a poet, and uh, just like a woman that really kind of lived her own life in a very, very particular time. And um, she, there's a lot of really, really solid quotes that come from this woman. And I would really, really love to talk to her. Great stuff. Michelle, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. So just uh, stay online just for a minute while I wrap up here. So for everyone listening, Michelle has to go now. And she's at a busy gym there, so she is. And I know she's programming and what else and food to get and get on the rest of her day. But uh, uh, thanks so much for your time for our take two today. And it was a pleasure to speak to you. Um, for everyone uh, so far, or for everyone listening, thank you for your time. Thanks for putting this into your earbuds. And from myself, Robbie Burke from the OPEX podcast, and from Michelle, I, I won't. I won't even attempt to say the, the surname. Say, say your surname like the, the proper way. The proper way, Michelle Letendre. Sounds so. It sounds so good when it's said the proper way. So from both of us, take care, and I'll talk to everyone soon. Thank you so much.